Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Well, hello, I'm Dave Cross, and welcome to episode 12 of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. In this episode, I'll be dispelling some Photoshop myths. Last week on the podcast, I had a great chat with Meredith Payne-Stotzner, a product manager for Photoshop, and she gave some great insights as to the way things work at Adobe. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I strongly recommend you do. It's, I think, very, very interesting to hear what goes on there, including the fact that some of the, the innovation that's in the DNA of Adobe, the fact that they're going to keep innovating, even though when Creative Cloud was introduced, I think a lot of people thought, what's the motivation for Adobe to innovate now that they've got this monthly subscription. But after my chat with Meredith, I really feel like it's just Adobe's nature to be innovative. Now, I'm going to get back to some of the other interviews I recorded at Photoshop World next week, but part of the discussion I had with Meredith made me realize there is another topic I wanted to touch on, which is some myths in Photoshop, because a lot of things happen in the world of Photoshop that people might miss. And as a result, they continue to do things in ways that are really no longer necessary. And these myths continue to be shared when people ask for advice. People often mention these methods that are, frankly, a little bit out of date or perhaps misunderstood. Now, before I get to that, I should also tell you that once the microphones were turned off in my chat with Meredith, I learned some really interesting things. For example, when we started talking about the new That was pretty exciting. Can't wait till everyone sees that new thing because it's pretty amazing. Oh, and also the fact that that sounds really, really exciting. Now, obviously, I can't really tell you anything about that part of our conversation because I am under a non-disclosure agreement. But I will say that there are definitely some interesting things coming sometime in the future. Now, let's get to these myths. The first one came up as a question on my training site. I encouraged my members to send in questions. And someone asked about the method of enlarging a document. We need to make it bigger. And the way they were, it was suggested them to do it was to enlarge 10% at a time. So going into the image size command and changing it to percent and doing 110% and then repeating that over and over again with a theory being enlarging 10% at a time multiple times will give you a better result. And back in the day when someone first came up with that method, it was definitely valid. But it's been a while now that Photoshop improved the way that that image size works. The algorithm behind the scenes has vastly improved. So now there is really no advantage to doing that. In fact, it would just be, frankly, a waste of time because you'd get the same result just simply doing the image size and putting in the new size that you wanted. Keeping in mind, of course, that however you do it, it's still interpolation. It's still Photoshop inventing pixels. So you're never going to get a great result either way. But if you are have been told by someone that this is the best way to do it, it used to be. But that's one of the things that Meredith and I talked about was that often there are some kind of small changes under the hood made that don't necessarily make the news like some other brand new features in Photoshop. But things like the improvement to image size is just one example where that's no longer necessary. Another myth that I, I know I've heard quite often 
and people ask this question is, I've heard that you shouldn't really do type in Photoshop if you're going to print. So for example, you should prepare your graphics and then maybe do everything else in either Illustrator or InDesign. And this one is kind of interesting because that's partially valid, I guess you could say, but I've done plenty of projects where, for example, I was printing some postcards and I thought about creating just the graphics parts in Photoshop and then bringing them into InDesign. But instead, I just did everything in Photoshop because remember, when you're doing type in Photoshop at the time you're working with it, it is high quality vector type. And the concern that people have is, well, eventually you have to save as, for example, a JPEG to send to a printer. Well, if you prepare it properly, in other words, you start at the correct size and resolution. And the way I typically do that is most online printing services offer downloadable templates. I'll open their template and use that as a starting point. So I know it's the right size, it's the right color space, et cetera, et cetera. I do everything, including type, at the highest quality I can at the time. And then when I'm finished, I save as JPEG again at the highest quality. And I wish I could hold up my postcards right now and show you, look how good this is. I don't think you would know this was all done in Photoshop. Now, there's something to be said for doing certain things in Illustrator. For example, Illustrator has some more kind of, let's say, special effect type things we could do with type than Photoshop might. But even that's changing. Even even that with things like Puppet Warp in Photoshop, you can do more and more with type than you ever could before and still preserve its high quality nature. Now, if you're used to using InDesign, for example, to put everything together, that's fine. But I really, I just wanted to point out that it's not necessary, that you shouldn't worry about it. as long as you're starting out at the right size and quality, the type will still end up looking very good when you send it to print. Next on my list is the discussion of 8-bit versus 16-bit. And all I want to specifically talk about, because there's there could be a whole nother discussion about the pros and cons of using 16-bit versus 8-bit, but I read something recently that kind of concerned me when someone was offering the suggestion that take a file that was already open in Photoshop and it was an 8-bit file, and if you convert it to 16-bit, you'll have more ability to edit, you'll have smoother gradients, etc., in your photograph. Well, I'm not sure exactly how that would work because think of it this way. If I had eight ounces of beer and I poured that eight ounces into a 16 ounce glass, I wouldn't have more beer. I just have the same amount of beer in a bigger glass. And that's really what happens if you take an 8-bit file and switch it to 16-bit, you're not really adding anything to the existing photograph from an editing standpoint that you wouldn't have at 8-bit. Now, if you start with the 16-bit file coming out of RAW, either Camera Raw or Lightroom, that's different. But we're talking specifically about people suggesting that you already have an 8-bit file and you want to do further editing, so switch it to 16-bit. There are very few instances where I could think that that would have any kind of advantage and it would be kind of fooling yourself I think to think you're getting a better result by switching to 16-bit that way. Okay now here's a big one for me this is a pet peeve of mine when I hear people say when you're making a selection you have to use the pen tool because the pen tool gives you better selections. It makes a more accurate sharper selection and frankly that's just just not true. Yes the advantage of the pen tool is as you're making a selection based on anchor points, you can continually edit those anchor points to tweak the path, but eventually 
you have to turn that path into a selection, which is, means it's pixel-based. So while it might look nice and sharp and crisp while you're working with a path, eventually it still ends up turning into pixels. And I've done comparisons where I did a selection with the pen tool, and then I made another selection of the same thing using other methods, for example, maybe the quick selection tool or select subject and then improving the selection using other methods. And when you look at the two of them side by side as a mask, for example, there really is no difference. So I would be the first one to agree that if you are very comfortable using the pen tool, then it does offer some advantages when it comes to making a selection because again, you can continue to tweak the path and make sure it's accurate. And that, that certainly is a huge advantage. But my concern is when I hear people give that advice to someone who's fairly new to Photoshop and hasn't mastered the pen tool and worries that they're not gonna be able to make an accurate selection or a selection with a nice clean edge because they're, they don't know how to use the pen tool. So here's how I look at it. If you're already a pen tool wizard, if you're really good at using the pen tool to make your selections, then sure, keep doing that because that does have a nice advantage of that ability to continually edit the path. But if you're a beginner and you're hearing advice that's making it sound like the only real choice or the choice of the pros is to use the pen tool, I disagree. I think with the tools that we have at our disposal now, including things like select subject and knowing how to use the polygonal lasso tool, for example, to make nice straight lines, something like that, you can make an equally effective, or I should say end up with as equally an effective selection that you then turn into a mask as you can with the pen tool. Here's an example of why this concerns me. Just the other day, I was reading a comment that was comparing the pen tool with, for example, the lasso tool, and the article actually said, the problem with the lasso tool is there's no way to adjust the selection it makes. Well, that's false because of course you can. If you hold down the shift key to add to the selection or the option or alt key to remove from the selection, you can do that with any selection tool. So you can start with the quick selection tool and then switch to the lasso tool. So anyway, I think the, the bottom line here is don't be swayed into thinking that if you're not already comfortable with the pen tool, yes, it's a useful tool to learn at some point, but initially as a way of making accurate selections, I would say that there are lots of other options that are available to you that are equally as effective as using the pen tool. I'm going to continue my discussion with a couple of more myths, but first... It's time for the tip of the week. Here's an interesting tip for an alternate way of cropping. Rather than trying to crop your existing photograph and the challenges that that can entail trying to use the crop tool, try making what I would consider a cropping template. What you do is make a new document in the size and resolution you want. So for example, you might make an eight by 10 image at 240 pixels per inch if that's the common way that you print. Then anytime you wanna print something, you just drag your photograph into that template. And of course it's gonna in effect crop your image because of the difference between the ratio of a digital image and the eight by 10 size, and you just move it around with your move tool to get the part showing that you want, and then you save it into whatever form you need for printing. You can close the template without saving and you're ready for next time you need to crop something. It's a nice visual way of quote unquote cropping without actually using the crop tool. 
If you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know normally after a tip, I have a short pre-recorded ad for my training site, learningphotoshop.cc. But this time around, I want to share with you something that's I just realize is available on the site I use to create or host my podcast, which is anchor.fm. And that's you have the ability to send a voice message. So if you have a quick tip you think would be good for the show, or if you have a question you'd like to have me answer, just go to the website, which is anchor.fm forward slash Dave dash cross dash talking dash shop. And you can see a button that says send voice message. You'll have to sign in or create an account to be able to do that. But then you could be featured on a future episode of the podcast. Check it out. It's pretty cool. All right. Back to our discussion of myths. I have a couple more to tell you about. The first one is a common misunderstanding of resolution, which is has changed over time. And that is back in the early days of doing things for the web, people would say, well, the, the correct resolution to use for web graphics is 72 pixels per inch. And really, now that's pretty much irrelevant. It really comes down to the pixel dimensions. So rather than worrying about whether it's 72 PPI or 96 or some other number, really what it comes down to is what's the size you need. So if you're doing something for a particular purpose and you know that you're trying to make it the the largest size you can for most web browsers, you might pick a size of 1200 pixels wide. And then of course the height will automatically be calculated in the image size dialog box. But really that's what it comes down to. So if you just need a small logo, it might be 100 pixels by 100 pixels or something of that nature. But as an experiment, if you're If you're unconvinced about this, if you come from a school of thought where, no, no, people have told me it's 72 pixels per inch, just try it. Try making a couple of different graphics where you have one that's 800 by 500 pixels for the sake of argument at 72 and one that's 800 by 500 at 300. And on a website, they're both going to look the same. Now, one will be a bigger file size, so that's certainly a consideration. But really the best way when you're thinking about resolution for things that are going on websites and to some degree even any on-screen use for example video we don't talk about resolution at all I know that when I'm doing my videos I'm using 1280 by 720 so that's kind of my sizing guideline so if I want something to be full screen that's the size I use and I don't even pay attention to what it says in the resolution field so if you have been worrying about that worry no longer. Just simply think about the pixel dimensions and you'll be just fine. The last one I want to mention is the kind of the, I don't want to call it a myth or just a misunderstanding of what sharpening an image can and cannot do. I've heard people say, well, I have this out of focus photograph, so I'll just sharpen it in Photoshop. Well, you're not going to recover focus, so you're not going to either restore or improve focus. Technically, what you're doing is fooling the eye by doing what amounts to localized contrast. So yeah, it definitely can end up looking better when it comes to your output method. But if you look at something and you're like, well, this is just a really poor focus, it's really not going to improve it to the level that we hope it might. So yes, there's always a place for sharpening, but because the way that sharpening works with that localized contrast, it also means that you could potentially, if there are some artifacts in there that you don't want, 
you might make those artifacts look more obvious because of that's what's being quote unquote sharpened. So for most people, the bottom line is to use caution with sharpening, do just the minimal amount necessary to try and visually make it look the way you want, but don't expect it to be able to recover something that's terribly out of focus. So that was my quick list of some of the most common myths in Photoshop. Do you have any similar things that you've heard of or that you're aware of? If you have, you can use that feature. I mentioned the ability to send a voice message or send me an email, dcross at dcross.com, and I can include your thoughts in a future episode. And just one more quick thing, I have a 16-page PDF of Photoshop tips that's available for free. You just go to bit.ly forward slash free PS tips. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash free PS in all caps tips. And you can sign up to get that free 16-page PDF. Thank you so much for tuning in. As we always say, I appreciate you as a listener. If you like this, you can rate it in things like Apple Podcasts and share it with other people you know who use Photoshop. And I hope you'll come back next week for another interview from Photoshop World. I'm Dave Cross. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.